of the world. They're like, pleasure to meet you. You're like, shake my hand like a man. These are pet peeves. Here's a, let me tell you the third one of mine, which is relative to the conversation. Um, here's what I think. I think your generation is remarkably underserved with the amount of stuff that you can hear, the difficult things, the offensive things that you're able to hear, and that you're not sometimes given a chance to hear the whole truth because you're being protected from something. So one of my pet peeves is when people like sugarcoat stuff, you know what I mean? Or they don't tell me the truth so that I can make the best decision possible, you know? So my commitment to you is this, is I'm going to talk to you like adults because I think that's what you ought to be treated like because all throughout the weekend, I'm going to be asking you to respond to things. I'm going to be asking you to think about things. And I don't, I don't want to do that through a lens that's foggy or it's unclear or that um, I'm withholding information from you. Such a big part of my journey in Christian faith was when I was your age, I felt like I got that a lot. And then I got to high school, right? And then I'm like sitting in biology class and I'm, I'm hearing all these new ideas about who God is and, or who God isn't and that God doesn't really exist and everything. And, and no one committed to teaching me the hard and difficult things of scripture and the hard and difficult things of Christianity and the hard and difficult things about who God is. And it ended up kind of spiraling my life in a way that it took a long time to fix. And so I don't want to do that to you. So my commitment to you is that I'm going to talk to you like adults. I'm going to bring what I have to say rooted in the Bible, in the scripture, which is this ancient document that tells of the life of Jesus. Um, and it's historically accurate in what it says, the name, dates, times, and places. And it is the most controversial book of all time that speaks of the most controversial man of all time. Jesus Christ is the most controversial name that humanity will ever know. And the question of who is Jesus to you is the prevalent question of the weekend. Y you'll notice I, I, don't, I, I don't care at all what your parents think about Jesus. I don't care what school you go to and whether or not the word Christian is in the name of your school. I don't care what your friends think about Jesus. I don't care anything about any of that stuff. What we understand as people, what we understand as humans is that you and I, we have an aspect to us that's not strictly material. Would you agree, right? Uh, C.S. Lewis, he's a great theologian. One, day, one time he said, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body, okay? What makes you you is not your body. Did you know that every 13 years, every cell in your body dies and then is replenished? So every 13 years, there's actually not a single part of your body that was here 13 years ago. Every 13 years, you're a brand new person, right? But I bet on your 13th year, you didn't have like that Mario, Super Mario moment where you're like, whoa, I just totally regenerated. Why? Because you're not your body. You have a body, right? We all have these little avatars. Some of us are a little ganglier than others, right? Some of us are taller. Some of us are shorter. We have these like avatars, right? But I've got a personality. I've got a soul inside of myself, but it's not material. You can't measure it. You can't see it. You can't weigh it. But if you've ever seen someone dead, you know that that thing is gone. If you've ever seen a dead person, and for a lot of us in this room, and the stories and the brokenness of the families that you come from and the hurt that you've been through and the grandparents and parents and loved ones that you've lost, you've seen that firsthand. And you see the body remaining there. And we use a phrase for that. We say, that person is dead, which is so funny because on the moment of death, every single part of that person's body is still intact. 
They still have a heart. They still have a brain. They still have legs. They still have arms for obviously most people, right? Uh, Cohesively speaking. But we say there's something missing from them now. Friends, that's who you are. You are a soul and you have a body. And so the question of, of who is Jesus is that one day that immaterial part of you, like what, what plan would you have to kill something immaterial? We, we know what we would do if we wanted to kill someone's body, right? There's a lot of different ways to do it. We don't need to go into those because that's kind of morbid and a super weird side note in this sermon that I should never talk about it again. But how would you plan on killing a soul? What would like be your first, you, don't, you wouldn't even know where to start, right? You don't like you know, like Thor's soul hammer where you can, like, go to town. and We don't know, right, because it's immaterial. We, we have no reason to believe that the soul dies. We have no reason to believe that the soul is temporary. We have zero reason in all of science to believe that an immaterial thing undergoes a material process like death. It just keeps going. And what the Bible tells us is one day your soul will meet the king of the universe face to face. One day your soul will meet its creator. Because it says in the, in the Bible that God breathed life into your body and you became a living person. And one day you will cease to be a living person and you will be a dead person. But that breath of God that is our very soul and spirit will live on and will meet God face to face. And there's only one question that's going to be relevant to you for the rest of eternity. Who is Jesus Christ? And every human who's ever lived falls into one of two categories. You need to understand this. This is where it's going to start getting offensive. Every human who's ever lived only falls into one of two categories, right? A lot of us, you come in here, like maybe you're like, the, you're, you're the stuff at your school. Like you're cool, you're hip, you're groovy. No one says groovy anymore, but imagine if they did. But you're cool, right? You've got, you've got it going on. Like everyone thinks that you're awesome and it's phenomenal. You win. Ten points for Gryffindor. You're the most popular kid at your school. Yay. The problem with that is no matter who you are, or where you come from, or what you're good at, or what you're bad at, how tall you are, how short you are, how good-looking you are, how not good-looking you are, none of that matters. It's all irrelevant. Every person who's ever lived will one day come face-to-face with their creator. And there'll be one pertinent question. Who is Jesus Christ to you? And no one gets away from it. No one gets away with it. The only separation of all of mankind is this. As you sit right now in the chairs that you're sitting in, you are in one of two positions with the king of the universe. That's it. We might think it's like a spectrum, right? Like we've got like the really churchy kids, you know, like the nerdy kid in your youth group who always finds the Bible verse first, right? The pastor's like, turn to the book of John. They're like, I've been in John for three days. And you're like, okay, Brenda, knock it off, right? <laughs> Just stop. She's like, I've been reading my, this morning at 3.30, I was reading my Bible. It's like, homie, you should have been sleeping. Like, that's weird. If someone gets murdered in our youth group, we're all going to look at you first. Because who gets up at 3.30, right? It's like, stop. Go to sleep, you know, have a coffee, be a normal kid. You're just weird, right? But, so, but that's like, we have like a spectrum. We're like, these are the really nerdy kids, right? They take the word of God seriously. They're all about who he is. You've got the other people in your youth group, and they're kind of like, I'm not sure about this whole God thing, right? I'm here because my friends are here. I'm here because it's kind of the cool thing to do. I'm here because there's nothing better to do. Some of you are here, and you didn't know that Hume Lake was a Christian camp, and you're like, what did I get myself into? Don't worry. Wait till the sacrifices start. Just kidding. <laughs> no, that's on Saturday. It's not Friday. It's only Friday. Just kidding. But, and so you kind of find yourself in this in-between, like, I don't really know. Like, 
When it comes to the God conversation in Jesus, like if someone asked you honestly right now, who is Jesus Christ? You'd probably come up with an answer like, I don't know. I think he said like, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. I think that was Jesus who said that. Or like, I don't know. He was, he's super old. He died a whole long time ago, and then, like, religion started about him. And, but you don't have really any familiarity. You might go, he was, a, he was a great teacher. He said some nice stuff. I think he's, like, the originator of the idea of do unto others as you would have them do unto you. That seems like a good idea. And this is who Jesus is. So you've got, like, the hyper-religious. You've got, like, the I don't know what's going on. And there's, like, a thousand different levels in between. And you've got, like, the, the downright I don't care, <laughs> right? Some of you, this is you. You don't care. People talk about Jesus, and you're like, Bleh. you know, like, who cares? Why do you, that's like for you religious people. I'm not religious. I don't care. It's irrelevant. This is a conversation for you guys. I'm just going to live my life and do my thing, and whatever is going to happen is going to happen. The, the problem with that is that the Bible says that upon closing your eyes in death, the immaterial part of you, the part that doesn't die, is going to meet Jesus face to face. And on that day, it's going to be difficult to get away with the idea of, like, I don't care. Like, that's all you're going to care about. It's the only thing that's going to be in front of you. And it's the only moment in all of history forward that's going to matter anything to you. And what so many of us do, and I remember doing all throughout my life, and it happens to me even now, is, is we just kind of live in a white noise world. How many of you guys go to sleep with white noise? Right? Just like a constant, shh. Okay, I've got five kids. So my white noise is, like, level eight, right? Like, baby crying. It's like, I can't hear them. Right? My oldest kid is eight. My youngest kid is one and a half. Everyone screams all the time. Right? Like, that's it. Like, the rule in my household is if the, if the house is on fire, come shake me because I'm not going to be able to hear you. Right? No, no I'm just kidding. But white noise, it, 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 this is our life, right? Here's, here's, here's the power of Hume, Hume SoCal. You ready for it? The power of Hume SoCal is we have bought hook, line, and sinker into our culture, right? No matter how old you are, 10, 11, 12, 13, I don't know how old you are. But the majority of your life is spent in white noise, right? And it sounds like this. Mm, School, friendships, social media, how many followers am I going to get? Who cares about the outfit that I'm wearing? I'm going to get a new haircut. I'm going to make the team. I'm going to be really popular. Everyone's going to like me. I'm worried about who's sitting next to me right now. How come I didn't get to sit next to them? What's so wrong with everything that everyone's doing? Let's just eat and let's go to sleep. It's time to wake up. Let's go on YouTube. Let's figure stuff out. And, and you know what I know. This is your life. You move from nighttime to nighttime with a whole bunch of noise in between. And the power of Hume SoCal is not that, like, God's here because God sits on mountains. It's not that God's here because God's really about trees or God likes the snow. So rarely do we ever stop and shut the white noise of our life up long enough to ask big questions. Like, for some of you, the, for the first time in your life tonight, you went, that is weird. I am a soul, right? It's like it's a weird concept. Oh, yeah, this stupid body, right? This is not, this isn't who I am, right? This is just this. It's like the movie Avatar. This, God just gave me this for a while. And they're all in different colors, shapes, and sizes, and it's great. But, it, but at its core, who I am is, is different than this. And, and Hume has the power to tell us all to shut up and to listen to deeper questions. And let me, tell you, let me ask you a couple deeper questions. Questions that if we turn the white noise off in our life long enough, it haunts us. These are the haunting questions of humanity. 
what am I doing here? Am I doing good? Like if I, t- if I told you, if I asked you the question, how are you doing at living? It's the only thing that you do 24-7, live all the time. And I asked how you're doing. We would all have a different scale of what it was, to, what it meant, right? Like, oh, I'm living pretty good. And I would say, well, what do you mean you're living pretty good? What's your name? Emily, how are you living? Pretty good? What does that mean? You're strong in your faith? Okay, so what does it mean if someone's not living good? Okay, they're not in touch with Christ. What's your name? Carson. Hey, Chris, good to meet you. Carson, do you agree with that assessment? Kind of. Are you living a good life? You what? Trying your best. So is, is living a good life trying your best? What if someone's best is murder? Are they living a good life? They are? As long as they're doing the best that they can? So murderers live good lives. People in touch with Christ live good lives. Right? At the end of the day, we, we, we in two answers m- just killed any scale that we could possibly have of who's living a good life. We don't really know about it. Let me ask you a different question. And it, it goes exactly on what we're talking about this weekend with, like, the, this theme of being recrafted. Is this, I don't want to break it, is this a good music stand? Chill, chill. The question of this is, is this a good music stand? There's only one way to test it. What do music stands do? Hold music, right? They hold, they hold whatever the presenter needs it to hold. So we got to ask the question, is this a good music stand? And we can find an answer. Ready? Is it good? Yeah, it's good. Okay, so now imagine a world in which, what's your name? Jace. And what's your name? Brooklyn. Jace and Brooklyn have never seen one of these before. And Jace goes, I know what that thing is. It is a weapon of sorts, right? It's like you can hit your sister with it, right? You can javelin it at the lunch lady. There's a lot of things you can do. This is a weapon. Its, uh, I, it, it, it's, uh, it's official title is Greek, so I don't want to bore you with the details. But, you know, you can, it can be more defensive if you need it to. It can be more offensive if you need it to. Let's say you're doing more of like an octopus spinning action. You can kind of go that style right there. And then if you pull hard enough, this comes out, and then it, you got your spear down. And Brooklyn's like, Jace is dumb. Right? Brooklyn's like, Jace is stupid. He's the dumbest. He sits on that side of the room. And so, because Brooklyn, right, her dad makes music stands. She's like, that's a music stand, 100% for sure. So then they get up here, and Jace is like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight with this. And Brooklyn's like, you better not. It's meant to hold music. And if those two get in an argument about what the purpose of this stand is, and they're at a complete standstill, and they can't. And let's say everyone on this side of the room votes that Jace is right. And everyone on this side of the room votes that Brooklyn is right. <coughs> Let me ask you a question. Who's right? Let me ask you a different question. Who gets the final say? Chill. It's more of a uh, rhetorical question. Ready? Here's the answer. The answer is, what does this word say? What's your name? Bella? Ella. What's that word say? Hamilton. Do you want to know why? 
because this is actually a podium made by a metal worker in the Central Valley called Bruce Hamilton. So when Bruce Hamilton built this, he built it as a music stand. So if Bruce Hamilton walked in right now and you, everyone was screaming, we would go, hey, what's your name? He'd go, Bruce Hamilton. I built that. He'd walk to the front. We would say, Bruce, <coughs> settle this for us. And he would go, as a music stand. We would go, well, who's, who made you boss? And he would look at it and he would say, the maker defines the purpose. <coughs> the maker gets to define the purpose. Which means when I ask you, are you living a good life or why are you here, your opinion means nothing. Your opinion's like Jace's opinion. It's pointless, right? It doesn't mean anything. But the reason our culture is in such shambles is we've asked every human being <coughs> to define why they're here. So the definition of why you're here is I am just going to live and have as much fun as I want. And you say it's, it's to serve other people. And you say it's to try your hardest. And you say it's to do this. We've, we have categorically, that means altogether, kicked out the one voice that matters. There's only one opinion that makes any difference. Everyone else is kind of blindly looking at this. If you've never seen a music stand, you'd all be voting on what it does. You'd have no clue. But if Bruce Hamilton walks in the room and he says, I made that as a music stand, then that's what it is. And you have a creator. You have a maker. You have a designer that the book of Psalms says that God knit you together in your mother's womb. The book of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 said, is for, says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves, not by works so that no man can boast. For you are God's workmanship. The word for workmanship in the Greek there is poema. You are God's perfectly rhyming, delicate, crafted, intentional poem. He built you, he knows you, and he wants you to know him. And we have to ask the question this weekend that's bigger than all of the questions. It's, it's, it's a question of why are we here. It's a question of how are we doing. It's a question of where are we going. It's a question of why do I exist? Why do I breathe? Why do, why do I have permission to intake this oxygen? Why am I t taking up life's resources? Why do I have permission to do these things? Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose? And if we don't stop the white noise of culture on those big questions or stop asking our neighbors who didn't build us, we're going to miss the creator's whisper. Because that's what he does. He speaks. And he speaks through his word. And here's what it says in the book of Corinthians, which is going to be our theme verse. I'm going to keep it short because I know you guys, you've had a long day, you've traveled, you've been through a lot, probably all cracked out on Mountain Dew. And that's a lot, right? The snack shop? I'm going to spend every dollar I have. Give me those lollipops, lady. Here's what the Bible says. And this all comes under this. Like, you don't, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. That soul's not going anywhere. It can't be broken. It can't be destroyed. It is eternal. And one day, you're going to see your creator face to face. And on the day that you see your creator face to face, he's going to ask, what did you do with the life that I gave you? And on that day, your opinion and your self-discovery journey that you're on is going to be kaput. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. No one cares. Okay? The creator of the music stand doesn't care what the music stand thinks its purpose is. Okay? It doesn't have an opinion in the matter. And, and, and we judge anything on its ability to fulfill its intended purpose. Is this a good music stand? Well, does it tip over well? That's not how you determine good music stands. You say, can they 
hold whatever the presenter needs it to hold. This is a good music stand because it does its job. So when I ask, are you a good person, the, the, the next question you need to ask isn't, do I think I'm a good person? Is it, it's, are you doing your job? What's your job? It's not the job that you work at. It's not to be a good member of your family. That's not your job. Here's what the Bible says. This is God's word. This is the one who created you, the one who spoke you into existence, who breathed life into you. He gave you the body that your soul is in. He built your soul out of nothing. And here's what he wants to tell you. He says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you have just found right there, listen, right, in those two words, you just found your purpose. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The point of your life is one thing, to be in Christ. To change your identity from the old, broken, depraved, sinful version of you that was born into this world and to not just become a little bit better person. That's a trash substitute. To think that your job on planet Earth is to come in with all of your selfish habits and insecurities just like I have, the sinful things that I do, the messed up ways that I think, and think that my job is to, by the end of my life, swear a little bit less and steal a little bit less and punch people a little bit less and kick dogs a little bit less. Like, that's, that's not the point of your life. Here's what the Bible says. If anyone is in Christ, that's the point, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So you don't have to ask yourself that question anymore. You don't have to ask, what's my purpose? Why am I here? And am I doing a good job? All three of those don't rely on your opinion to answer. The truth is you are here to know Christ and to make him known. Secondly, whether or not you're a good person is whether or not you're fulfilling your role to know Christ and make him known. And you are here right now, this weekend, cutting through the white noise because the God of the universe has drawn you and invited you. You might think you're here because someone else in your group dropped out, because your friend had an extra ticket, because someone sponsored you to come, because you didn't want to, but your mom made you last minute. Those are all not true reasons why you're here. You might... That might be the system of events that has brought you to this place, but you're here because the Lord has called you to a divine appointment. Because he wants to get your attention. Because the white noise of your life is so stinking loud that he has to shut it up to ask you these deep questions. You want to know why? Because he loves you more than you could ever understand. Because he loves me the more than I'm ever going to know. Let me, I want to end with, with helping you understand why this conversation is so important to me. You knowing Jesus matters a lot to me. I don't get a raise if you know Jesus. I don't get like some kind of like spirit points in, in the cosmic lottery of, of the game of life if you know Jesus. But your life, your life has already been and will be marked with pain. I promise you. On July thirty, on July twenty first, um, of nineteen ninety three, my wife was born, named Paige Hilkin. Her name was Finley at the time, but we got that fixed. Um, Paige Finley was born. We met in college at Concordia University. 
And we quickly started having kids. When I say we, I mean her. I was present, but it wasn't, you know, she did all the heavy lifting. Um, and then when my fifth daughter was born, my fifth child was born, her name's Finley. You'll see her running around here. My wife started to have these really unusual back pains, and no one understood what, the, what it was. She got diagnosed with a, with a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in the lungs. The danger of that is that sometimes blood clots slip, and they move into your heart, and they kill you instantly. 25% of people with pulmonary embolisms don't know they have them until they fall over dead. So Paige was diagnosed with this. Well, this scared her, and something in her brain told her that if she goes to sleep, that's what's going to happen. Her brain told her, if you go to sleep, this is what you're go that's going to slip, and it's going to go into your heart. And now this is a woman who, just to give you a little bit of a backstory, graduated high school when she was 16. She went to college at 17. She won a softball national championship at 19, uh, graduated summa cum laude, and got, ma got married to me 10 days later. She had five kids in a period of six years. She started three at-home businesses. She gave birth to our fifth kid in the corner of our bedroom in 59 minutes. She is not to be trifled with. She's powerful. She's incredible. A superhero of a human being. And so she started to have fear. And fear played these tricks in her mind where for 10 nights straight she didn't sleep. I didn't say she slept a little bit. I said she didn't sleep at all for 10 nights. What that does is it, it deprives your brain, especially in a postpartum state, of oxygen. It, de it deprives your brain of rest. It deprives your brain of the essential nutrients to carry on. And so what happens when you deprive, that's, why, that's what we do. Like if, if you're trying to get information out of someone and you have them held prisoner, one of the key things they do is they deprive them of sleep. And they don't even start to, to, um, in, to do inquisitions on them until the fifth or sixth night because that's when your brain starts to cross paths. Synapses start to cross and your brain doesn't function normally anymore. anymore. By night seven, the synapses in her brain had messed up so much that she started thinking about suicidal ideation. She started thinking about ways to hurt herself, how to end her own life. This started a four-month cycle into deep mental illness. And every day I'm sitting next to her and I'm trying to, to help her out of it. And we're going to doctors and we're, we're looking at, we're seeing nurses and we're doing medications and we're trying to figure this out and that out. And we, we're going to behavioral health institutions and we're trying to help her through all these different means. And the whole thing is just kind of thinking like, God, where are you? Like, why don't you intervene? Why don't you do something? Why don't you fix it? So finally, after a, a series of events that led to a place that got pretty scary for us as a family, I'm like, I'm up every night with five kids. Like, I'm, I'm bottle feeding my baby because my wife is, is so mentally ill that she's lost any connection with Finley whatsoever, and I'm protecting her from herself because she's behaving erratically. I'm protecting her from the kids because I don't know what she's going to do next. And finally, the counselors that we're working with said it's time for her to go into a long-term inpatient center, a 30-day center in Sierra, in Sierra, Arizona, or Tucson, Arizona, and she needs to get better. And we, it's kind of time to pull out the stops because it, we've, it, it, it's rare to see someone that's in this bad of mental shape. And, and we're talking about for the, first, she, uh, for the first 27 years of her life, had never struggled with anxiety, never struggled with depression, never struggled with any mental health issues. And now all of a sudden, I'm sitting front row at this complete collapse of this complete powerful warrior that I had once known. She's diagnosed with schizophrenia, PTSD, multiple personalities, psychosis, postpartum psychosis. She goes into this behavioral health institute, and there's this, it's just this promise, like, finally. Like, this is going to cost everything, but at least she's going to get better. And on July 21st of 2021, she killed herself in that behavioral health center. And it's the, the white noise of life 
cut, right? And now you've got to rectify something, right? You've got to ask deeper questions. You've got to think to yourself, how could a God allow this to happen? In what world and in what, you've, maybe you've brought in this idea of who God is or who Jesus is to this weekend, and, and it's all, it's cartoonified, and it's all these things, but you've, you have so far kind of been nerf-balled. You've been protected from the world, but at some point, you've got to ask the big questions. What are you doing here? What do you do with this? Your generation who has technology at their fingertips tips, kills themselves at a clip of 75% higher than the previous generation. You can talk about progress all you want, but the world is broken. I can tell you firsthand, this place is broken. And it requires a solution. And it's only a matter of time before you have to come to grips with that. And if we're starting to talk about this world being broken and not fitting its true design, we automatically then appeal to there's got to be a better way for this to be. There's got to be a true design that was meant to be. There's got to be a way the world was meant to be, and it's not living up to it. That's because you're not a mistake, and you weren't made a mistake, and you weren't made on accident. You were made on purpose, by purpose, for a purpose. This world exists for a purpose. You are intentional. You are designed. You are known, and you are loved, but some of you have no clue who Jesus is. But pain is coming, and heartache is coming, and death is coming, and this is just the reality of the world if you'll turn the white noise off long enough. And it's full of questions. It's not sanitized Christianity. It doesn't make the world easier when you start following Jesus. But I'll tell you one thing. Knowing that my wife knew Jesus through all of that, knowing that she has the hope of heaven, knowing that I know her and that I will see her again forever is the only thing some days that keeps me going. I didn't come here to give you some 15-minute homily on the importance of prayer. I came to ask you some really big questions because I've seen it firsthand what hope lies in Christ and what the world is without him. It's hopeless. It's meaningless. It's purposeless. It's a bunch of music stands all sitting around trying to virtue signal each other about how they're going to be different people. It's trash. And you know it. And I want you to know this hope. And I want you to know this truth. And I want you to know that in Christ, you are a new creation. But if you think that you don't have a bad court case, if you think that without Christ, you're going to be just fine, that the same trash that we can identify in the world around us, if we're really honest, exists inside of us. That's why it's so messed up. The world, when we say the world was messed up, the world is made up of a whole bunch of yous and me's. So we can't say that the world is messed up without saying, I'm messed up. The world doesn't need a solution, friend. I need a solution. You need a solution. And the Christian faith simply says, we have found the solution in the hands of our maker. We have found the solution to the emptiness of this world in the sufficient fullness of the man who built you and I and knows us each by name. So I don't care if you don't like me very this weekend. I don't care if you don't think I'm interesting. I don't care. I really care about Jesus, and I really want you to know him. And I'm, we're going to have hard conversations, and it's going to be full of stuff like this because this is what the real world is made of. And you're junior hires, and you're not, you're, you're not apart from it. This is your world, isn't it? Anxiety is your world. Depression is your world. This is what you're doing right now. It's not someday in the future. 
This is your life now. Divorced. Your parents are divorced. Your family is all broken and messed up. You've experienced neglect, abuse, all these things. Look, I'm not talking to the person that you're going to be. I'm talking to you right now. You can only numb it long enough before you ask bigger questions. And Team SoCal, thank God you're here to slow us down, ask bigger questions, orient our life, and ask, why am I here? If anyone is in Christ, you will experience what only he can provide, being a new creation. Would you pray with me? God, it's like, it's, it's com- like following you is confusing. It's hard. Sometimes it makes little sense. But I know that without you, absolutely nothing makes sense. God, would you just uh, kind of tear apart our hearts tonight? We got a lot we want to talk about. There's a lot going on in this room. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of questions. But would we know that you're not a God afraid of questions? You're not afraid of doubts. You're not afraid of the hurt. You see it all. There's not a single story that we can bring up to you that you didn't already know. There's not a single thought we've ever thought that you weren't aware of. But God, we love to hide from you because we want to hide from ourselves. Would you pierce the deepest parts of our soul, the soul that's not going anywhere, the immaterial part of us that knows we're broken and that the brokenness of this world starts with me? Would you show us that in you alone is the solution, but would you also make us keenly aware of the fact that one day we're going to meet you face to face? And when the white noise of this world has been ceased completely, it will just be you and me. It will just be you and these children that you have made each individually by name, on purpose, by purpose, for a purpose. Would you convict our hearts to have a better answer to the question of who is Jesus than some culturally-based, self-imposed, friend-given, lame answer to that question. Because, Jesus, you are the answer to everything. In you, we have life. Without you, there is only death. Let me pray. Amen.